0: the Skinny Podcast,
1: only on Local12.com. Now, here's Richard Skinner. Welcome into the Skinny Podcast. It's the weekly faux reedition edition presented by Ryan Keefer of Prime Lending. I'm Richard Skinner, Local12.com digital sports columnist and editor with Rick Boring. Each and every week, we look at some sports topics of local interest, occasionally a national topic or two. We talk some gambling, and my favorite segment of the show where you can ask me a question literally on any topic. Go to Twitter. Rick hit you up usually Wednesday or Thursday, depending on what we do to do the podcast. Just go and hit the Twitter handle, hashtag Ask Skinny Anything. Uh Rick, how are we doing as we trudge through March Madness? It always seems like there's great anticipation, and then all of a sudden, two weeks go by in the blink of an eye. I, I swear, I think it feels like yesterday was February 28th, and suddenly we're almost at the end of March.
0: Uh, this is officially the longest Xavier basketball season in the history of the program, Skinny. How about that? They've never played past March 29th before. They have played on March 29th one other time when they – played in the elite eight against UCLA, but this is the longest Xavier season ever officially. So I'm still grinding, man. I'm still, I'm still covering basketball games somehow.
1: Yeah. And for those that are wondering, they did win the NIT title in 1958, but that was probably played way back in, I would say probably the middle of March at the latest. So that's, that's if anybody's saying, well, wait a minute, they played in the NIT championship a long time ago. That's when seasons ended way earlier than they do these days.
0: Right? Exactly. So, yeah, it's uh, it's been a great March. We'll talk more about that coming up. But, Skinny, by the time we record our next podcast, it will either be opening day for the Reds or just before opening day for the Reds. So we're going to start this off with a little bit of baseball talk. And that leads us to David Schoenfield of ESPN. He wrote a piece handing out offseason grades for each of the 30 Major League Baseball teams this week. He gave the Reds a B-. And he, I'll read one of the quotes that he had. He says, one thing nobody brings up, the Reds were on the hook for $27 million to Suarez and Mike Moustakis. That wasn't going to work because both were awful in 2021. Yes, the rebuild to 2020-2021 didn't pay off, and now it's time for another one. Maybe Reds fans deserve better, but I don't think it was an awful series of moves as long as they keep Castillo and Mali Do you agree with the B-grade?
1: I I agree with his premise of it, but I don't agree with the grade because then you, you re-added payroll with with Donovan Solano and Mike Miner and Tommy Pham to the tune of $20 million. That's the part. That's the part. I wrote a column about that. I know we're going to touch on a little bit about that's the the thing that makes your head spin is either you're rebuilding or you're trying to... There's no middle ground here. There's just not. Stop trying to play the middle ground with hope of sure hope Tommy Pham's, you know, a a great right-handed platoon guy. Sure hope we catch lightning in a bottle with Mike Miner. Sure hope that... Um, you know, our younger guys play better than the back of their base. Sure hope Jonathan India doesn't regress. Stop playing that game. Either you're in for the playoffs or you're out to rebuild towards the playoffs. Not to try to get yourself in that middle ground of 73 to 84 wins. No.
0: Yeah, Schoenfield made the comment in here that fam had a higher war over the past three seasons than Jesse Winker. But I think every Reds fan would argue, but Jesse Winker is just getting it going. Like, he's just breaking into his prime fam as a guy who has faded over the last three years he's not on the upswing
1: and listen I, I, I we talked about this in, in the vacuum of these moves I can give you a reason for everyone being justified and be fine with it listen I'm probably less of a Jesse Winker fan than most because I do think that the true talent of him is as a is a designated hitter from against right-handed pitchers. And yeah, occasionally you can throw him out there against lefties, but he, I think he's a platoon player too. But don't shed, and I know that he was tied to Suarez to shed Suarez's payroll as much as anything else. Again, in a vacuum, I get that. But then you send the conflicting message of those and sign 334-year-old, a retread pitcher, a retread backup infielder, and a and a platoon. You already had a platoon player making less money. who was good enough to be an all-star as a platoon player, basically.
0: Uh, honestly... The Wade Miley decision might be the one that right. makes the least sense looking back on all of this to me. If the goal is to be competitive right now, it seems like keeping him on for one more year at $10 million would have been an obvious choice.
1: Well, that I mean, again, compare him to Mike Miner. Mike Miner's, uh, you know, they're similar ages. Wade had a better season. Yes, they're both up there, but there's nothing in Mike Miner's back. He had, a, he had a five ERA last year as a full-time starter. He's on the backside of his career in a major way. At least Wade Miley showed you flashes. So, again, I don't mind you letting Wade Miley walk. I don't mind you making these trades. But then you you, re, you go fill those with similar contract-type players. What are you doing? Well, Jesse mean- Winker's Waker, 27, and I don't think he's ever going to hit left-handers consistently. But, Rick, he, he's entering that. Again, you can look at any guy on Baseball Reference. It's one of the great things to look at, especially, good, I mean, really good players. And watch their ascensions through their mid-20s through their late 20s to their early 30s, and then you watch the drop-off because father time. Joey Votto this past year was kind of an outlier with the home runs, but it's going to catch him here, and it, and it caught him two years ago. It's just that that's life, man. It's caught Albert Pools, for goodness sakes. Look at some of his great years, and then look at the decline of his career as he got older. Yeah, you're right. Jesse Winker's younger, cheaper, still under team control, all those things, and yet th- that's the conflicting thing to this that is so. that's what led me to write the column of Bob Castellini's ownership has been so discombobulated from the start where Dan O'Brien said, point blank, I got a four or five-year plan. And he said, like, I want to win now. And three days later, he fired him. And where are we? Still
0: caught in between somewhere, right. figuring out the money situation while, quote-unquote, trying to win now. Do, let me ask you this. Do you think that Red's front office management, whoever, changed direction mid-course after everyone lost their minds?
1: Absolutely. He even said, "I read your emails, read your texts, heard your messages. He heard fans mad about all those trades, and that's I. I jokingly put this on Twitter last week after the Mike Miner trade of, of I feel the conversation went like this: Castellini, uh, cut payroll. Nick Crawl, okay, sir. Castellini, after fans had a mutiny, go get me players. Nick Crawl, okay, sir. That's what it felt like."
0: I mean, there's, there's a small part of me, especially with the reports about Nick Ladolo and Hunter Green and it seeming like they are ready, that can see the argument of, okay, they were letting some of these other pitchers go because they knew they were going to be relying on those guys right away, and the contract situation with Moustakis and Suarez wasn't going to work. You had to include Winker to get there. You feel like you closed that gap by getting Fam. He's close enough to Winker in their eyes i can argue all of these things to some extent but again like if if the goal is you think you're good enough to win right now and make the playoffs right now with this team and that's actually what you were doing while you were making these moves then why not pick up the option on wade miley you didn't have to commit any long-term money there and then you go back and get mike minor after i mean i can't understand the plan And it's quite possible that's because I'm an idiot and they know what they're doing. And I I just don't don't understand it.
1: There's nothing in their track record that suggests
0: they do. That's the thing. But I will say, if that's the case, then why do a canned PR video like Castellini just did? Why not go on one of the local radio shows, explain the plan while someone else has the chance to ask honest questions and push back a little bit. Why not build the bridge for us? Why not make it make sense to me? Because this just doesn't quite add up. I can sort of buy it a little bit. I can see where they're going to some extent and yeah. Okay. If you keep Castillo and Miley, which looks like they are, I can see where you felt like you might still have a quality rotation here in terms of the pitching staff, but it, the, the moves just don't really add up over to like, give us the other side of it. Uh, here's you where may, I go back. Here's, where I, here's the where missing would,
1: piece. Right. Here's what I, I always, I, I'll defer to this always. You want us to believe in, in, in you're your, your not making money or you're poor? Show me your books. Show me your books. Show me where all the money's going, and then I can believe you. Show me that, hey, we're saving 45 mil here, but we're going to spend it in two years. Okay, but then I need to see you spend it.
0: Well, and, and the other side of that, too, is if they're going to continue to argue that we made these moves to make us a better baseball team, both now and for the future, and we plan on competing right away, then we're going to hold you to that
1: standard. Yes, right. right. That, and that's exactly right. Be, that be good, is good exactly right away in. then. Yes. No, Nick, well, I'm holding you to the standard then. If you think you made your ball club better, it better be better than 83 wins. Yeah,
0: it should be a playoff team this year.
1: I mean, there's, there's almost no way last year's team
0: shouldn't be a playoff team this year with the watered down expanded playoff system. That team was darn close. You're supposed to be getting these two stud pitchers coming up that I think are going to make you better. You've got the rookie of the year, a year older, more experience. You had an all-star out in left field that you let go because you didn't think he mattered all that much, and you you can do just as well with
1: Fam. And and again, I will say in fairness that a lot of, I think, Winker is tied to them being able to to shed Suarez's contract. I think that's what the Mariners said. Listen, you want us to take his money on? We want Jesse Winker. And obviously that's what happened and that's
0: understandable. But again, if you're, if you think you have a chance to compete right now, you don't make that move just to get rid of that contract. Now it, it was a good move in terms of getting rid of soros's contract, which you never should have signed, but that's another story. I, I just, I can get behind all this to some extent, but again, just make it make sense. Give us the other side of this. And if nothing else, we're going to hold you to the standard of, win right now if you keep talking like this.
1: And Rick, if, if you had a plan, and I go back to this, and, and, and this was debated last year, and you knew you weren't going to be able to sign Nick Castellanos, and this is where they've been bad at this, too, of getting very little value in any trades that they get back. Uh, you know, the 2015 rebuild when they traded Aroldis Chapman and Todd Frazier and Johnny Cueto and all those guys too late, right? You know how many guys they have left in the organization from that those trades? All those trades they made? Zip. Zip. So, it goes back to they didn't have they they waited too long. Then the plan the plan backfired because of that. They they didn't maximize value. They got literally and this was my old argument last year about Castellanos. Don't let him walk and get nothing back. And don't give me well you can get a compensatory pick. Take your compensatory pick and shove it up your ass. I'm tired of hearing that nonsense. Give me give me give me legit prospects. They, that that's the thing. I don't just because you say you have a plan. I'm sorry, I don't believe you.
0: Well, and that's the thing about Sonny Gray too. Like you've really got nothing back for Sonny Gray for the most part.
1: No, you gotta. You're hoping an 18 year old flamethrower doesn't blow his arm out 15 times before he comes up. The track record on those kids ain't real good.
0: Well, and I just wonder is am I missing something? Could you not have let him pitch to the All Star break yes. to see if he could get back yes. on track, not show signs that he's not injured, and maybe get some real
1: value that helps you right now? Yes. Or, or, or some guys that are closer to Major League ready. Yes, that's the point. Don't tell me there's a plan and do crap like that.
0: Yeah, it just doesn't make sense. It's
1: frustrating. And this sucks because I was so looking forward to
0: the window of Lodolo and Green being ready. I wanted to see these young guys get their chance and build. And, and obviously with India last year, it started to build an exciting core. Yep. And Stevenson. Just, and Stevenson. And Stevenson. It's just such a frustrating offseason.
1: Yeah, no, because I, I, I go back to that's what's so confounding about this guy's ownership is he has never either been all in or all out enough to be all out and bite the bullet, take the take the heat for it with with a general manager to have a plan to rebuild. And I, that's where I think Dick Williams got to the point of I busted my butt to get to this point where we're a playoff team and then you're going to ask me to cut it again. I'm not I'm not doing this again. I got if I can go work for the family business. Have a good day.
0: Uh, it, it makes a lot of sense when you look at it that way, honestly. His departure and the way it happened.
1: It is. It, I'm, I'm with you. And then, the, then of course, the punchline Boy, we'd love to see the fans back in the ballpark. <laughs> really? Yeah.
0: Okay. All right. Let's switch gears here, skinny. Uh, t- time to turn the pages to a little bit of betting talk, looking at some NFL futures odds. I'm on DraftKings right now. The lowest odds to win the AFC North. Belong to the Cleveland Browns at plus 175. The Bengals are plus 200. The Ravens are plus 225. And the Steelers are plus 850. We'll talk about the Super Bowl here in a second. But Skinny, just from right there, are you surprised to see the Browns as the betting favorite to win the AFC North over the Bengals?
1: I am, and that's even if Deshaun Watson plays, and we don't know how much he's going to play. In fact, Rick, I know you're using the DraftKings. When I put one up on our website from from uh, SportBetting.ag, they're pretty similar. I just want to do this for comparison's sake. They had the Browns, and this is last week, and it's always fluid, as you know. Um, last week they had the Browns at one point nine to one. They had the Ravens at two to one. The Bengals at two point two to one. The Steelers, I'm sure, in, in DraftKings, is a long they're seven and a half to one to win the division. We'll get to the conference and the Super Bowls you mentioned here in a second. I, I am surprised though with the Browns being the favorite. Um I did like them on paper last year. I do like the addition of Amari Cooper. Um I, you know, they did get hurt and that had to factor into the equation. They do have that great running game still. They feel like they've upgraded a quarterback, but here's the question when and if does that quarterback play? And you're gonna make them the favorite on he might play?
0: Well, and even if he does play, like I can understand the argument of it's still the Bengals we're talking about. They caught lightning in a bottle. They had a lucky year, whatever. But wouldn't all of those arguments apply to the Browns and then some? Like how how are the Browns the team that passed the Bengals up all of a sudden? That doesn't make any sense at all. They're the team that still can't get out of their own way. The, the Bengals have at least done that.
1: Yeah, I, I think it's just the whole the whole glitz of Deshaun Watson's possibilities as a player being such a huge upgrade over Baker Maybe I'm not telling you I agree with it. I'm just trying to justify their reasoning for it. I don't think, I'll be honest with you, I don't think that's a very good value at 1.9 to 1. I do think, listen, I think the Bengals are a good value at 2.2 to 1, or 2 to 1 in this case. I, that's, a, that's a good enough going to try to not only double my money, but give me you know 2 to 1 odds to do it. I, I think I'd still take them to win. I think they are the best team in the division. Not by a lot. I think those three teams are very close. I mean, let's go back to last year. You know, you throw the last game out when it was the backup bowl, but the Browns came to to Paul Brown and kicked the Bengals' ass, right?
0: Yeah, no, I mean, look, this is a stacked division. There's no doubt about it. The top three are very good. I will say. I
1: don't think Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh's made some good offseason moves. Now, granted, the quarterback's an issue, but I'll be honest. Mitch Trubisky can't be worse than than a declining Ben Roethlisberger.
0: Plus 850 for the Steelers. That's a lot of disrespect to Mitch Trubisky and Mike Tomlin. (laughs) I'm telling you.
1: Mike Mitch Trubisky under Mike Tomlin is going to surprise people. They- I think he is. I think he is too. And I mean, they they upgraded their offensive line with James Daniels and a tackle, and they still got T.J. Watt on the defensive side. They still got Minka Fitzpatrick in the secondary. They still got some dudes over there. So I, plus, I don't. Plus eight fifty is I, a
0: startling number to see next to the Steelers.
1: It is. It is. The
0: teams. With better odds to win the Super Bowl than the Bengals, you might have already seen this somewhere else, but on DraftKings, skinny, yep. give me the number, guess it. How many teams do you think have better oh, yeah, odds I'm gonna do it. to win the I'll Super Bowl? I'll do it
1: Bowl. on Bet AG. I think it was one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Well, don't count eight, them. Eight. I said, guess. Well, it was it was 12 or 13.
0: Yeah. The Bengals have the 12th best odds, according to DraftKings, to win the Super Bowl next year. Those odds 22 to 1.
1: Yeah, this Plus is 25 to one. 1. Yeah, this is 25 to 1. So, yeah, very, very close, obviously. I, I mean,
0: how much value do you think is there? I, I think that's pretty darn good for a team that just played in the super. Bowl. I'm not saying, I think it's likely that the Bengals get back to the super bowl. I'm not saying, I think it's likely that they win, but for the team that just played to be 25 to one or 22 to one over 20 to one odds, that's pretty good value.
1: Yeah. 80 to win two grand. I'm, I'm, I'm good with that. The, the real value to me, I don't know what it is on DraftKings, Rick. I'm sure it's close, but the defending champs at 12 to 1 with a pretty decent chunk of their roster coming back is pretty good.
0: Yeah, I'm showing 11 to 1 here, 11 yeah. to 100 okay. yeah. on DraftKings, and they are fourth in line right now. You've got the Bills at plus 650, the Bucks at plus 700, the Chiefs at plus 950, and then the Rams sit there at plus 1100, same as the Packers. I'm with you, Skinny. I mean, the thing about these two teams is it's not like they fell apart especially if you're looking at the Bengals. They didn't lose a whole lot from that team at all. In fact, they really made some impressive offseason moves and addressed their biggest glaring hole. Uh, Rich Eisen went off on his show this week when he saw this and was going nuts about it. He's like, what am I missing? The Bengals had a great offseason. Why would they not be the favorites to win the AFC North? I mean, I kind of agree with them, but I don't think it's that shocking, especially based on how betting odds typically typically work. I guess a lot of this is has to do with people seeing last year's run as a bit of luck for the Bengals skinny. And anytime you make a run like that, you have to have some luck. How lucky would you say the Bengals were? I mean, do you think, do you think there's a chance though, that they could be right back in that same situation next year?
1: Uh, No, I, I think it's a, I think it's a playoff caliber team. Now I didn't think it was last year because of the offensive line. I think they've done a great job to address it. Um, I, you know, I've, I've mentioned this on a couple of shows, once, once they signed Eli Apple, you don't have to like Eli Apple, mind you, but they do have orders back from, a, from, from the 11 that started in the Super Bowl, and that does mean something, I mean it wasn't like they got torched for 42 points and 600 yards ago, well that doesn't matter, they more than held their own, and now you've got still, I think they're still going to be in the secondary cornerback market, um, I think they're going to certainly address cornerback in the draft. And, and um, you know, again, we can talk about adding Joseph Osai. I, I think it's going to be a, even a much better defense than it was a year ago, bar, barring injury. So, yeah, luck's not the right word. When you have a star quarterback and really, really good players around him, skill position-wise, you can mask a lot of those things. But, listen, that offensive line was not playoff caliber, even though they got there, and they upgraded that spot. But I think it also shows you in the AFC um, – you know, Buffalo's got most of their guys intact. Kansas City lost Tyreek Hill, but they've they've made some additions. The Chargers, obviously, have added a ton. The The Raiders um, have added uh, Devontae Adams. The Broncos added Russell Will. I mean, the, the, the conference itself is hard. That's why I think the value is in the defending champ, the Rams, because it feels like the two best teams far and away in the NFC are Tampa and the Rams, and I think Tampa's far behind the Rams. I think it's the Rams' conference to lose. If I'm making a bet, I'm looking to the NFC for for a bet. I do like the Bengals' value at twenty five to one, like you mentioned.
0: Well, the one area you do need to get lucky is when it comes to health. Yes, and the right. Bengals were lucky in that regard yes. last season. So that's right. That that that's a big part of it for certain. And I'm with you on the AFC thing. It's just it's hard to pick any of those teams because it's going to be such a war. But when you see the Bengals fall down to where they are, where you're talking over twenty to one odds to win the Super Bowl next year, I mean. If you really like this team, it could be worth a, a little bit of a, a sprinkle there.
1: Sure. Like I said, at 25 to 1, I'm looking at, you said 22 to 1, 8 to win 2 grand or 8 to win whatever you're looking at. I'm good with that. Or 80 to win 2 grand, rather.
0: All right, let's switch gears here to some college basketball talk. And before we get to the final four, Skinny, we got to talk about a national championship game that's coming up involving a local team. That's right. The Xavier Musketeers are nationally invited to a championship game on Thursday night after they beat St. Bonaventure 84-77 to in the semifinals of the NIT at Madison Square Garden. Skinny, how do you explain this Xavier postseason run in the NIT?
1: I can't because I, I go back to, I didn't know if this team cared or not. And honestly, maybe it is, this team is as talented as we thought at times, talented enough to certainly win this tournament. Um, you know, maybe the whole thing hanging over Travis Steele's head and it finally, you know, went away after one game and maybe loosened everybody up to the point of, Hey, let's just go play. You guys, you know, like Jonas Hayes, maybe relaxing or let's just go play. And they have enough talent to kind of things. I I don't want to say Paul Scrubs is addition by subtraction. That's not fair to a kid who got hurt and did a lot of big things for this team, but they do seem to be playing better without him. Um, So I guess you got to factor that into the equation. So I think there's a lot of those things involved.
0: Yeah, I think, playing smaller, not playing the two bigs together hardly at all, just bringing Zach Fremantle off the bench and I trying to limit.
1: Talked, I think we talked about that a lot.
0: Yeah, Jack nungie's minutes, just limiting him in general and and playing small with Colby Jones at the four pretty much all the time or, or sometimes at the point guard now that Paul Scruggs is out. But just playing four out, one in at all times has, has worked well for them. Uh, Fremantle's played really well off the bench. He has somehow just got reengaged all of a sudden here in the postseason, and he's been – really good. He was good in the Big East tournament and he's been really good in the NIT. And then I do think, I mean, look, to to be blunt about it, Paul Scruggs started bogging down the offense too much at times, trying to force the issue late in the season. I don't think there's any way around that. Scruggs out of the lineup has changed them a little bit with Dwan Odom running the point guard full time and Colby Jones running the backup point guard for, you know, 10 to 15 minutes a game as well. And it's just, It has changed how they play a little bit for certain. And I think that has led to some of it. If, if you were to like assign percentages, like in terms of credit, how do you, how do you do that with the parties involved? Like Jonas Hayes, the players and the level of competition that they're facing in this tournament.
1: Yeah. I think they all factor in and, and and, um, you know, if you wanted to rank them, I, I would honestly say Jonas Hayes, because he's the one who's chosen to go small, something that man, I've, I've been harping on for a while now. And, 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 I get Travis Steele's decision. I don't agree with it, but I get it that you're trying to get your guys going together and those are two of your talented guys and it just it just never worked. I think, you know, to the Jonas Hayes, and I was gonna flip a question on you, Rick, what has what this done for Jonas Hayes' stock? And where does he where does he go from here? Does he go to the right hand side of, of Sean Miller for a year? And then when some jobs come open if Xavier has success, teams go, he cut his teeth and cut it pretty well, winning an NIT title.
0: It, it's been a very good look for him, yeah. Without question, I mean, I think he's
1: handling it great.
0: That that's the thing. It, it's not really so much that Xavier is winning in during this run because I don't think, to be quite honest, there's a ton of control he would have on all of that. You really kind of need the players to buy in and want to play in this thing to even have a chance to win games in the NIT because it's all about which team wants to be there and which team doesn't. And no, by no, the time there. you're in the semifinals, they all are pretty much playing, and, and it matters a little bit. But like those first couple rounds, you see it year no, after what? year a lesser talented team will get a big win because Kentucky will play Robert Morris and Kentucky has no desire to be there. And then they lose that game. And that's, that's kind of how the NIT always goes. So a lot of it has to do with that. Um, But I think what, what this has allowed for Jonas is for him to showcase his personality and what type of, speak public speaker he is and motivator and all of that he's just come off looking really good and that's to the surprise of nobody who's been around him i mean that's that's who jonas is but i still would say like if i'm assigning the credit i'm probably going like 25 jonas 35 on the players because they're the ones that have to care and do this right and then 40 is the competition level to be quite honest xavier stunk defensively against st bonaventure like they were Horrible in the second half, gave up baskets
1: on almost every possession. It seemed like. Well, I, I actually but had a
0: fun adventure.
1: You yeah, know, I had an AAU practice last night. Got in the car and heard Joe talk about the, the shooting percentages. They were coming out of a TV timeout, and I called a mutual friend of ours who's a Xavier fan. I said, "What's up?" He said, "Dude, Xavier just got their first stop of the second half." And I went, "Wait a minute! They're like seven minutes Come by." He goes, "Oh yeah."
0: Yeah. Neither team. Now, fortunately for Xavier, they were scoring at their end too. So they just basically kept pace for the most part. I mean, I think St. Bonaventure beat them by like seven or eight in the second half after they had a 15 point lead at halftime. But just in general, if people, you know, they get all up in arms about, well, they're, they're winning games now. Why couldn't Steele have done this? And okay. I get where they're coming from. It didn't end well, but if Xavier played in the Atlantic 10 or played St. Bonaventure every game, It'd be essentially like playing Georgetown and Butler and DePaul every game. Yeah. They're going to be at the yeah. top of the conference. Right. They're going to beach on occasion, but you're better. Right. And that's, you know, I mean, I think Xavier would have been fine if those were the three teams that were at the top of the Big East this year. They would have looked pretty darn good. They would have been towards the top of the conference and made the, the the tournament. That's not life in the Big East anymore. You've just got a lot of guys. And, and you see, I've talked about this all year the having the best player on the team factor has been a problem for Xavier in the Big East. Other teams seem to always have the best player or two over Xavier. In this game against St. Bonaventure, Jalen Attaway, their best player, got his butt kicked by Colby Jones. And you could argue Jack Nungy is probably Xavier's best player, and then go on from there, Colby might be number two. But it's a major difference when you have the best players on the floor, and against St. Bonaventure, Xavier does.
1: Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. But yeah, it's been... been, it just feels like the, what the, you know, Travis gets that win. It was almost, in, they kind of win in spite of everything. The crowd was not in that Cleveland State game. Um, they weren't really in that Cleveland State game. And, you know, sometimes you win games like that and it was almost like, all right, we won. And then the Travis Steel news comes down and it felt like at that point, whatever pressure bubble was there just popped. Well,
0: absolutely. And then you add on Paul Scruggs tears as ACL. You've got Jonas Hayes is, making a very important decision for his future, whether he's going to to stay at Xavier with Sean Miller, whether he's going on to be an associate coach at Georgia, or if he's going to parlay this into his first head coaching job at a mid major level where there's multiple schools interested yeah. in, in interviewing him. So I will say it might be too strong to say this is causing problems behind the scenes for players and coaches and the program overall, but it's definitely delaying things and making them more interesting behind the scenes in terms of the transfer portal and staff movement, because yeah, everything's got, just kind got, of in a holding pattern to pattern to some extent.
1: Yeah. You only got one more day of it.
0: Yeah, that's right. All right. Skitty, the final four is set two games on Saturday, starting at six Oh nine. We've got Villanova and Kansas in the first game, then UNC and Duke to follow 30 minutes after that one ends. First of all, just your thoughts in general on these two matchups. A lot of people have been complaining that you're, you know, it's all kind of blue bloods, you know, Villanova, not necessarily a blue blood, but all of these top tier teams, a lot of chalk and you get the matchup between UNC Duke. Do you like these two matchups in the final four?
1: I do. I Hey, listen, the, the whole great part of March, right, is the, is the Cinderella's and the runs and the upsets and the St. Peter's and all those things and the Miami of Florida's getting there with the old man and getting the Elite Eight, and those are all great. But it it is so interesting when the dust settles and you look up and you have three of the four winningest programs ever, and arguably the best program in the last six years in, in Villanova. It just it cracks me up to to think that of all this and that, that college basketball is so wide open that you look up and, and all the blue bloods are are kind of there, other than Kentucky. But from a matchup perspective, I think it's great. I mean, I you know just for the sheer drama of Coach K and Carolina in the national semis, and um, you know again, arguably over the last six years, you could I could argue Kansas is in that group of two of the best top three or four programs in the country between Nova and Kansas. Over the last, Probably you can go longer than that if you'd like, if you want to extrapolate it out. But, you know, starting with Jay Wright making a Final Four and winning a title in 16, I mean, you know, this is the third Final Four and they've won two titles and Kansas has titles and they're the winningest program ever. I mean, just from a national marquee standpoint, wound up being pretty damn good.
0: And you just can't get any better from a storyline perspective than Duke in Coach K's final season, trying to make that push into a national championship and their biggest rival, improbably being the team still standing in their way, oh, that's just an unbelievable It's it it really, made for know, TV.
1: I know. I I think I saw uh, uh, Marcus Spears talk about. Oh, you know, this was all scripted out, and they they had him. Play- well, listen, Carolina was an eight seed, so this wasn't scripted out, bro. It, it it got it got lucky to a large degree. Plus, Carolina's playing great, which I want to get to here in a second, Rick. It, it's just amazing that it's worked out like this. It wasn't scripted out like this. Um, they didn't, this is like, they set this up for a second round matchup. A lot of crap had to happen for this to get these two teams together in the final four. Yes.
0: Absolutely. And the other thing to your point earlier about it, you know, it's fun when you have a St. Peter's run and that was incredible, but Great. it also sets you up for games like we had on Sunday in the elite eight, where you get some blowouts. That's not what you want by the end. It's nice that in the final four, we have got four big time programs. We've got NBA level players. These should be two good matchups. I mean, both lines are within five points. You would expect fairly close games here. Yeah, exactly. All right. Let's get into our predictions. Kansas is a four and a half point favorite over Villanova in the first game, 132 and a half is the total skinny. What do you like there?
1: All right, can I can I give you my, my, my predicament that I'm in at the moment? Yes. Okay. So I'm in a, in a pool. You've been in this pool before. I don't think you got into this year. It's the J Jay, Jay Morrison spread pool. Right? I
0: didn't get in any pools because the day before the tournament started, when right. I thought I was going to submit them all, Travis yep. Steele got let go.
1: So in this pool, it's pretty cool. For, for 20 bucks, you get two teams when the tournament starts, and he does a multiple bracket to this, and, and uh, they're picked at random, and um, you, it's a spread pool. So, for example, the two teams that I got were Akron and Villanova. Well, Akron lost to UCLA in the first round, but they covered the number. So at that point, because I covered, I get UCLA. So I had UCLA until they just lost. So now I'm down to Villanova on the one side in one pool in another bracket separate. I got two different teams. I got Arizona and Duke where well, Arizona's eliminated. So I got Duke in the other one, I have a chance to have them match up in two different finals and make a pretty good piece of change. So when I make these predictions, people I'm doing it with my own, um, my, my heart and my, my, my wallet um, speaking, probably not from, from straight logic with this. I'm taking Villanova, I know the injury, but I think with their pace of play, they can get by. I know everybody's talking about a six-man rotation, but you have Archie Giacchino who plays a little bit off the bench. They can get by with the six, seven guys. Um, They'll have enough guys step up. It's not like they play at some pace where there's a ton of possessions. They're really efficient in possessions, and he's a big part of the the efficiency, but they got other guys that are really efficient too. Um, I'm going to take Villanova with the points, and I still think they have a legit chance to win. I think these are a lot of times where – if this happens in February, you could see a team, if they're going on the road, losing you know, three of their next six while they get stuff right. But I think with two games left and adrenaline and still really talented guys and a coach who's got it done, I think they're good enough to win.
0: All right, so you're just going money line straight up. You want to put a number on that for the over-under or no?
1: Um, It feels like this game will be like 118. So I'm going to go Nova. I'll go Nova 60 to 58.
0: Okay, Nova 60, Kansas 58. So you're going Nova and way under right there. Yes. Uh, it, it would not surprise me at all if that's exactly what happens. Nova wait,
1: a- Let me cut you off. I say that full well telling you, Kansas has probably played clearly better than anybody in the tournament and not just that second half. In fact, they played really well the first couple of games, had a crappy first half against Miami, blew them out the second half. They, to me, are honestly playing the best of anybody overcoming
0: the Justin Moore Achilles injury and having the younger Archer Diakno come off the bench and hit like three threes in this game would just be the most Villanova thing ever. Yes. So it would not surprise me at all if they went in some crazy low scoring game like you're predicting. I'm going the opposite here though. I think the Justin Moore injury will matter. I think both teams will score it fairly well, but Villanova will have trouble stopping Kansas. I think David McCormick will be able to make an impact inside. I'm going Kansas and the over here, 70 to 65 is the final. All right, second game, we've got Duke as a four-point favorite over North Carolina. The total is 151. I have a feeling this spread is going to come down, so we're recording this on Wednesday morning. Uh, If you're hearing this and it's still four, you may want to go get it right now if you're going to bet on North Carolina. Otherwise, if you're Duke better, maybe wait for it to come down closer to game time. Skinny, what do you like in this game?
1: Yeah, I'm with you on that. And again, I'm doing this with, with my, my heart because I have Duke in that pool. But Duke's also played extraordinarily well in the offensive end. I think they've guarded better than they've guarded probably all season. Um Carolina's playing great, and I want to get to a Carolina question on them in a minute after we get done with these predictions, Rick. Um Carolina's playing great and they're leg- they have legit dudes, but I just think that that whole last game for Coach K is in, is is just left everybody in Duke's program salty. And I think they punched Carolina in the mouth. Carolina still doesn't guard great. I know they held St. Peter's to 49, but it's not a great defensive team. They're playing terrific basketball. I, that's what I, That's the thing that I, I think you're right. I think this line goes down to three when it closes, to be honest with you. But I'm going to go Duke 78, Carolina 72. So, Duke and barely. Let me do it again. I'll go Duke 80, Carolina 73. So, Duke and the over. All right. I'm I'm on the over as well.
0: I'm going, look, I'm going chalk here. I'm going overs in both games. That's just the way I'm playing it. I can't see Duke and this Coach K storyline ending. I said it last week and we talked about it. You said, hey, it looks like they're just trying to sucker you into taking Duke. But because of that storyline and I agreed with you and I still took it and it paid off. It's (laughs) It's just the way things work. No one wants to see him succeed. He always does he's going to end up in the championship. I don't know if he's going to win it, but he's going to end up in the championship. Again, can they cover four points? It's anyone's guess, but I just don't see this ending now for coach K. And by the way, aside from all the, the BS about it being coach K magic and all that Ben Caro Griffin Roach, all of those guys have been pretty damn good. The big guy Williams has had some great games. Yeah. Wendell Moore has been solid here all those first round draft talents that we heard about all season long are finally playing up to that potential. All of a sudden that Duke has been very impressive.
1: And I do wonder um, before I get to my Carolina question for you, I do wonder if the pressure got to a lot of those younger guys in that final game for coach K, right? I mean, trying to win his final game ever in Cameron. That's a big ask.
0: Yeah, I would, I would definitely say it played a role. So for my pick, I'm going to go Duke 81 Carolina, 76 Duke in the over for me as well.
1: All right now, now, Carolina at one point this year, Rick was twelve and six, not playing great basketball. They finished strong; they were eight and two in their last ten. They did have an ugly loss in there to Pitt, but they they, they played some really good basketball down the stretch. And, and so, I'm going to ask you the, this question in this vein: We've talked about this, and we kind of looked at it when we were talking about Xavier's uh, Xavier's resume of uh, your last ten supposedly doesn't matter, but you see it. The eyeball test was Carolina underseeded based on their resume. And if you looked at the last, you know, basically half of their season when they played better, if that shouldn't start to be taken into effect a little more.
0: Well, I don't think they're underseeded based on the resume and how they it's supposed to be looked at now, but your question about, are those t- last 10 games a valid point of data that needs to be looked at and weighted more heavily? Look, To me, it seems like it matters. Who's playing the best at the end of the year does seem to matter to some extent. Well, Rick,
1: here's the other thing, and 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 there's twofold to that. It's your point, and the other point of, for the most part, well, it's not even for the most part. Those last ten, or if you want to make make the metric fifteen, because occasionally there's a non-conference like ACC or SEC Big Twelve challenge thrown in those last fifteen somewhere. Those are where there's a lot of equality, right? That the teams have kind of played instead of trying to gauge quad twos and quad threes, and was that a quad one early against some team back in early December, I think teams obviously eventually, and as a coach, I know how fluid a season is. You're nowhere near the team you were in March that you were in a, in a, in a November or an October practice. And sometimes for the good and for the bad, I mean, sometimes teams go the exact opposite way and those teams aren't making the tournament, nor should they, if they go one and nine down the stretch. I think there's a lot of things being equal of playing your best at the time going into this tournament should matter, I think there's some quality there of you're kind of, you can weigh this team against that team in their conferences and they're all playing conference teams. And a lot of times those, te- you know, three or four of those teams are ranked and, and highly thought of in the metrics. I think it's a better measuring stick to be honest with you.
0: My eye test says that anecdotally, I can give you some examples of teams that, Oh, look at this team that made a run or didn't. I believe when they decided to to take that out of, the criteria for the selection committee and stopped waiting those final games as, as more important than the rest of the season. They did it by evaluating a ton of data to come to that conclusion. So I'm guessing people much smarter than me already figured this out and said, no, it really shouldn't be taken into consideration and looked at that way. But to your point, especially looking at this Carolina team, it seems like there is some validity to the idea of the teams that are hot at the end of the year, have a good chance to make a run.
1: I mean, you know, an eight seed makes you one of the 32 best, right? Um, I think when you look at their talent and the eye test, that's a top 15 team at worst, at worst.
0: I would agree, but look, they didn't look like that for most of the year. I understand that. I I mean, this is a Carolina team that people were already worried about Hubert Davis as a hire and talking about, you know, they need to get Wes Miller while they still can and all of that type of stuff over. And I mean, these are Carolina fans that were being dead serious about that type of stuff. So uh, that's the other side of this. What does this do for Hubert Davis? Because quite honestly, ACC play and most of the year looks pretty rocky his first season. Now you make the run to the final four and rightfully so it solidifies your job and puts you in a very good position. But where are you at on Hubert Davis? Do you think this says a lot about him as a coach or do you think it's all a little bit random?
1: I I do, but I also think a lot of those dudes are not his dudes either. So I, you know, I, I do. I think I think he's got a great attitude. I think he's gotten these guys to gel at the right time. I think he's figured out what the team's strengths and weaknesses are, and he's played two of those. You know, he plays that short bench, which hasn't come back to haunt him yet and and may not. I mean, maybe they're going to get through this with playing six dudes, and good for well, him. He's skinny, figured he- that out. He's shortening the bench and saying, I you know what? These are the six guys I trust, and I'm going to get through it with th- these six guys. Here's the thing.
0: Villanova's playing six guys. Now they're down right. to five without Justin Moore. Duke's playing six guys North Carolina's playing six guys Kansas is playing seven guys they're the the deepest team in the final four none of these teams making deep runs are playing a huge
1: bench. the one difference though for Duke and Carolina is they're playing at a different pace. That's true and it's incredible that they're doing it I mean I can watch Villanova do it walking the ball up the floor and having you know what do they rank like 330th in the country in possessions now their possessions it's funny you see that and they're extremely efficient in their possessions that's the that's the difference for them they don't have a lot of possessions but they're damn efficient in those possessions um these other teams are playing at a different pace and it's i, I it mean is kansas is pl- kansas is
0: playing actually probably yes. faster than duke too yeah
1: right no and they, they play at a quick pace right
0: yeah so i mean that that's a fair point all right anything yeah, i else I, no, I just the- want
1: I, I just want to bring that up just because there's i think there should be something to that i i, I really believe it now i could also flip side argue and go Well, if you want to put two teams and look at the NIT championship teams, A&M was playing great down the stretch and didn't get in and look where they are. Maybe they should have gotten in Xavier played like crap down the stretch and they shouldn't have got in, but now look where they are. Maybe they should have gotten in. So there's the yin and the yang of those two teams.
0: Yeah. Like I said, I'm just, I'm pretty certain someone else already did this work and they know better than I do about it. So I'm just going to go with that. Don't count on it. Assume they knew what they were doing. Don't count on it. All right. Let's get into some ass skinny anything, We'll start with some college basketball conversation. Keep that going. Does St. Pete's run to the Elite Eight excuse Kentucky at all, or did beating Kentucky lead to their Elite Eight run? Skinny,
1: um, it does not excuse it because of the fact of what happened last year and not making the tournament and going nine and sixteen. You can't have back to back years like that. I, I said it before. I, I just can't imagine the 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 pressure on Kentucky to make a change if that was Tubby Smith. Or honestly, hell, I don't know, Joby Hall. Go back. I, I don't. I, I think when I say Tubby Smith, people think it's a race conversation. I'll use Joe B. Hall then as an example. Um, in fact, there was a lot of pressure on Joe B. Hall. His first year, he made the tournament after taking over for Adolph Rupp. They got to the regional championship game, lost to Indiana. The next year, they went 13 and 13, and that was blaspheme, and it was like guys in over his head. Well, two years later, he gets him to the Final Four, and then four years later, he wins a national championship. So, you know, I, I don't think it excuses it. I think it just is a tip of the cap to, to St. Peter. St. Peter's had good guards and those guards showed up at the right time. And, and those were legit wins across the board. They just ran into a team that we just talked about it's playing better basketball. It is a better team.
0: Yeah. I think that's what it comes down to is St. Pete's proved that oh, Kentucky didn't just get beat by some random 15 seed. That was that just threw in a couple of shots on the right night. It, the St. Pete's team had a legit chance. They came to the tournament with a mission. They knew they had a legit chance. They were a tough group. They played like it. They sustained that level of play over multiple games against high yep. major competition. So there is something to that for certain about right. that was a legit team that Kentucky lost to. Doesn't it, excuse wasn't it. it. Yeah, exactly. Uh, the, the thing is, Kentucky could have da- done what North Carolina did. Yeah, that's right. right. They could have big boyed them. They, yep. uh, you know, like that, that's the other side of this. If you're supposed to be one of the best teams in the country and you're supposed to have the top talent in the country, then you should be able to do what North Carolina did to them. That's right. Skinny, how high is Dante Allen's value at this point? He has entered the transfer portal. Can he help a high major team, and where will he end up?
1: I don't think he'd help a high major because he doesn't guard unless they find the niche role of him being just a, a, a sniper off the bench. Um, I think he's best served mid-major, but I could also see a UC Xavier who could use a shooter all Everybody can always use a shooter. You just got to figure out how to hide him on the defensive end. I think he has some value there. I don't think it's at a high major just because I think we're seeing some of those high majors. If you're going to a seven-man rotation, a guy like that doesn't fit into a seven-man rotation.
0: Yeah, but also when you look at the way this transfer portal works, I mean, the attention some of these guys get, when they haven't done anything or have have actually put on tape that they're not a very good player at the high major level already and teams just salivate over them and they get offers from everywhere in the country, it's hard hard for me to imagine that he won't get a lot of interest. My guess is, based on the scuttlebutt that has been going around Northern Kentucky, is that he already has an idea of one of a few programs. I don't think he's going very far out of this region. I don't either. And that's fine. the, The thing about him is, in terms of his value, he still has three years of eligibility. That's right. Even That's though he been on a, on a campus for three years at Kentucky. So I think guys coming out of Cal system are always hard to evaluate in terms of how much of it was this guy can't cut it. And how much of it was he didn't fit Cal. And- I, think
1: didn't, I think he never fit Cal. Cal reluctantly played him two years ago and the kid showed him up. This year, the kid didn't make shots. I think he, you can do this. I got I wrote it the other day, Rick, and I don't have it in front of me. He's either. Nine of 37 or seven of 39. On three. It was ugly. Yeah, nine of no 37. I think. Yeah.
0: It, it
1: was, was like 18%. Whatever. Right. 18%. It was ugly, however you slice it, whatever that number was. And I think that does all of a sudden the kid didn't learn how to or didn't stop being able to shoot. I think that's a confidence thing of I better make a shot. I better make a shot. I better make a well, shot.
0: I mean, when you only get 37 attempts over the course right. of the year and you're coming off the bench for one minute at a time or a minute right. and a half at a time, whatever. Yeah. I mean, I think it was clear that Cal didn't like the way he played. Now, that could be very valid. Maybe he's not. No, that's right. Tough enough, high enough IQ, defensive minded enough, whatever. But it also might just be that we've seen this before with Cal, where he doesn't really prefer a a skilled guy who isn't a great athlete and great. Johnny Juzang! Right. So like there are examples of, and I don't think Dante Allen is Johnny Juzang. No, I know. It would not surprise me if he goes to another high major program and provides scoring for somebody.
1: And as much as I'm a critic of Cal and have been very vocal about my dislike for for what he's done. listen guys. And I think he felt pressured to take Dante and he should have taken Dante. I I believe that, but yeah, if the guy doesn't fit what you're doing and listen, that sometimes matches don't work. That's why we have the transfer portal now, which is a good thing. It just didn't work for either party. You could argue he should have gotten out of there after last year. He chose not to, that was his decision. Cal didn't put a gun to his head and say, you better stay. He chose to stay. Now he's made a prudent decision and still has three years to to prove himself. And so I think it's going to wind up being hopefully a win for Dante Allen or whatever program he goes to.
0: So I would Root for the kid to do well wherever he goes. Yeah, absolutely. And I wouldn't give him advice. I I have no idea where he should end up and what would be best for his situation. But can I tell you something that doesn't make any sense to me? Which is, I've heard people saying he's going to end up with Kenny Payne at Louisville. Oh, boy. I think that would be a very bad idea for him.
1: Yeah, I, Rick, if I'm him, I'm going somewhere where I can get me a ton of minutes and reprove it again. And if I prove it with a lot of minutes, somewhere where I, my stock goes up. I'm going to do what a lot of these guys do the last time around. I'm then going to take my swing back to the high major level. That's my opinion.
0: Well, and and that'd be fine. Or, I mean, another high major would be fine too, if that's what he thinks is best for him. But the Louisville thing, if you do that, you go from, there's no guarantee that you're going to work out at a Louisville type level. Right. So it might just be the that fire
1: to the fire, bro. I mean, you talk about the pressure at Louisville right now. Well, and, everyone in the state then doesn't
0: like you UK fans hate you because you went to their biggest rival and they can't like anyone that goes on and plays for Louisville and Louisville fans won't be happy with you because you didn't come over and help them. you were like a a double agent for Kentucky or something trying to, trying to take them down if you don't play well. So it's like, if you end up not working out at Louisville, you now just become disliked by the entire state for the rest of your life. Like going to Kentucky, especially as an in-state kid, even if you're not going to play a lot of minutes, Part of the reason you do that is because it sets you up in certain ways after That's school. Right. I mean, I'm not saying it gives you a whole career or anything. For some guys, it does. They run an insurance agency or sell cars or something, and and their notoriety is enough to, to help them out there. But
1: or, or they run for state office and they get
0: corrupt and go to jail. There's that too. But even just for like, you know, I, I think Mark Krebs wrote a book There's diff- and, and, and made some money doing different little appearances with that and things like this. So there's just small things that you can do where – if you're still liked by the Kentucky fan base and they root for you when you go to a to a smaller school and play well, it's all good. If you go to Louisville, it could really make things kind of weird for your future. I don't. Yeah. I wouldn't recommend it. Fit to me either. All right, Skinny. Would you rather lose in the first round of the NCAA tournament or win
1: the NIT? Um, I I'd, I'd rather lose in the first round of the NCAA. Tournament. That's your, I mean, that, dude, that's that's your goal. I mean, give me a break. That's your goal. It's, now. Yeah. I would see, I was going to even say, even for a team that would win the horizon league and let you say they make a run to win the NIT. I still think you'd rather have the cachet of the NCAA tournament.
0: Definitely. Uh, that's it's the only answer. Even I if mean, you're a first round a punch.
1: punching bag, right?
0: Yes. Yeah. It's what you yeah. play for. It's the whole, it's right. to be in the real tournament. Yeah. The NIT yeah, is not, you. the NIT is an exhibition.
1: Yeah. It just gives me something on a random Tuesday night to continue watching basketball. That's all. Yeah.
0: It is what it is. Uh, While presenting basketball awards on national TV, would Skinny be able to take an open hand slap from a disgruntled ref and still present charge of the year?
1: (laughs) No, that's where I take the charge. I'd go down like I was shot. (laughs) And I'd pop up and go, that's how you take a charge. Let's present the award to Jim Smith from Hanover.
0: Look, I mean, that, that would be fantastic. First of all, to see, it would make for good television, but we did get a request. I, I know no one probably wants to hear about it at this point, but we're at the this end is of the, the podcast. One question anyway, I saw
1: this is the one question I saw. Go ahead.
0: Yeah. I mean, what, what do you have on the slap heard around the world at the Oscars the other night? People want your breakdown. We got it from a couple different. I was gonna avoid it, but we're at the end of the podcast. So if you want to turn us off, you can do that.
1: Uh, I'm bro. I'm I'm believing that was choreographed. I really am.
0: No, you're not. I Are am. you really one of those I people?
1: I am one of those people. It's such yeah. a it's such a show that no one cares. Rick, when was the last time you even talked about the Oscars? Literally.
0: Okay. First of all, what's the incentive for Will Smith to help out the Oscars ratings? Second of all, does this make anyone tune in to next year's show? Do you really Absolutely
1: care? it does. Why? Because it happened this year. It's not like there's going
0: to be any drama next year between you the don't, two. How do we know? Well, Chris
1: Rock won't be hosting for one or presenting for one. Well, yeah, whoever's hosted, maybe maybe it's two women and, and it becomes a a, a a bitch fight. I mean, who knows? No, I I do I do
0: not think there's any incentive here for Will Smith to do what he did.
1: Yeah, I mean, listen, comedians can cross the line. Um, I don't think that
0: really crossed the but line. But I don't think though.
1: that I don't think that brought it to that. I think that brought it to the after the show's over. Maybe that's where you settle it. That that's where you go. Hey, maybe you don't know about my wife's condition. And dude, you know that was completely Look, inappropriate. I, I, that, that that's where you settle. You don't settle that like that. That was silly.
0: I, I gotta be honest here though, like this is probably going to get me canceled or whatever, but like, it's alopecia. Can we stop talking about it? Like it's cancer. I mean, I'm it's not fun, you. especially for a woman, but it's like Correct. a ton Correct. of people have it. It's like a, Correct. you know, it's, it's a kind of a normal thing. It's not, she's not dying. She doesn't have her hair. She can wear wigs. Um, It's, it's, you know, I, I get why she might be sensitive towards it, but it's not like, you know, he made fun of a miscarriage or no, answer or something yeah, that was like you. completely out of bounds. It was a pretty harmless joke. And then on the other side of that, the people who are like, I can't believe we were a witness to this violence on screen. It's like, it was a slap. It was, it was a slap. Like, are we, I, I, I wouldn't recommend doing it. It's not no, like a no, cool let me tell you something. It,
1: made, it made Will Smith look dumb, but it was well, a slap. Let me just say something. It was a pretty good slap, right? It was. If, if it, if it well, Chris connected, he it It wasn't choreographed. He took it. He that was the most impressive well. part.
0: Yeah. He, he ate it, and, and he was clearly shaken up when he was talking afterwards. Like, he yeah, could get I'll his words you, together for a few but, but,
1: dude, he could have stumbled around and kind of mumbled and been flush-faced and all the things of head spinning, and he came back with the, that might be the greatest opening to a show ever.
0: <laughs> yeah, well, it took him a little bit to. It
1: did. <laughs> yeah. But,
0: I'll t- but it, was, it was quicker than you think. Well, he is one of the best comedians of all time. So, yeah, I figured he'd be pretty quick-witted. Uh, no, I, look, there's no way that was choreographed. I'm not buying that at all. Mm.
1: dude. anymore? I, I, I don't
0: believe much of anything any longer. I just can't understand how anyone watches that and their reaction isn't to laugh. How is that? Like, why would anyone feel the need to moralize or write think pieces or get worked up about two millionaires, probably hundred millionaires, those two, or at least 10, multi tens and tens and tens of millions of dollars F- slapping each other and getting mad over a, a lame well, there wasn't, joke. There wasn't,
1: there, hang on there wasn't a slapping each other there was a singular slap but yes you
0: true were made. but I mean regardless of what happens I could not care less about any of those guys slapping each other around or getting into cat fights I mean it was a pretty hilarious moment in all time I, this is when Twitter is absolutely at its best it was an unbelievable night of Twitter
1: yeah, and that's why I was glad I was kind of off Twitter for that night. I was watching something else. I saw it, obviously, the next day when everybody was talking about it. And, and I, my reaction was the same was, well, that's kind of silly. And then I didn't think anything much more of it.
0: Yeah, well, it was pretty silly. Uh, top five slappable figures in sports and or Cincinnati sports media, Skinny.
1: Well, I've said this before. Mike Greenberg does have one of the most punchable faces ever. I don't yep. know why I say that. He just does. He just got a little I'm smarter than you smarmy look to him. That I, I would I'd like to beat the beat the blank out of him. <laughs>
0: A good censor. Thank you. So I got that. Censored myself there. Sorry about that. Yeah. No, I appreciate it.
1: He's, he's, I don't know why. He probably is the nicest guy ever. He probably is the guy you'd ever have, but he just feels like he just comes off as douchey.
0: He's definitely a doucher. Uh, There's got to be like a a quarterback or two that you don't like, right?
1: Well. The one in Green Bay, possibly. Yeah. He, he, he would be slap. Yeah. He's, he's too DV. He's slappable. And the thing is, I don't, he's a guy, honestly. I think a lot of people could beat the crap out of. He just seems like a kind of guy that would honestly go up, he'd curl up in a fetal position and say, leave me alone. <laughs> Have you seen my toe? Have you seen my toe? I got COVID toe. Somehow, I don't think
0: that that would be the case. I, I, I would not want to fight Aaron Rodgers.
1: Well, I don't know, man. I, he, he, yeah, he he's in that group. Oh, man, this is this is so open-ended. It's always hard. Throw uh, some names at me. See if I agree. Any, any Cincinnati sports media people you want to smack around? He's got a um, slappable
0: love- face locally.
1: Yeah, I'm gonna keep that to myself. I, I said it years ago. I, I I could punch Jeremy Rao. and of course, then we staged a staged a punch, and I don't mean <laughs> that seriously. I actually like Jeremy Rao a lot. That was a great moment. Was, and, he, he, and to his credit, that. to his credit, he took it tremendously. Actually, um, no, i have I've got one, but I'm gonna keep it to myself.
0: Okay, well, mine would he, they he, refer he, to him he, by he, three letters? Let me just say
1: he does a lot of radio locally now, and I'll leave it at that.
0: Yeah, agreed. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> I, I that well, that's just one of the
0: most slappable faces in. Yes. History of mankind. Yes, correct. Yeah. All right. Uh, what Cincinnati athlete in their prime would be the most even UFC fight against prime skinny?
1: <laughs> um, I'd tell you I'd pick a jockey from Turfway, <laughs> but those guys are wiry and tough. i played yeah. to pick yeah. up basketball with some of those guys. A couple of those guys were really good athletes, man. They may be small, but they are strong as can be and really good athletes from a size perspective. I think you'd have to pick... Some don't, doughy reliever from like, you know, like a I don't oh, know a David a David Weathers who cried on cried on the mound once, a guy yeah, like that.
0: Yeah, a relief pitcher would be a good idea. I was actually gonna say like a Chris Collinsworth type or something back in the 80s yeah. when they weren't all bulked up.
1: He's got a kind of a slappable I mean, he he'd be one that'd be worth slapping, I think.
0: Yeah, I mean he seems like a decent enough guy, he, but he's not he's got a slappable face, that's for sure.
1: No, no, the, the interactions I've had with him, I've not had good good interactions with oh I, really. Yeah. One of the worst of all time was um, he was helping coach Highlands and they won a state championship. And he actually, I thought it was a good little sidebar. um, But I know it it wasn't like he didn't know who I was. And and so I thought this would be a good little sidebar that he actually was going to fly out after that game to do, I think, a Sunday night game the next night or two nights. This might have been a Friday, which I thought, that's actually pretty cool. So I walked he he goes, I ain't talking about that. And walked away. I'm like, really? And that, that wasn't the only. I had another one with him at a, at a charity event where I did make fun of his sweater. I did a Chris Rock and did make fun of his sweater, and he didn't like that. And did he slap you? No, he just kind of glared at me. It was kind of a douchey looking sweater. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> it was it, it was a it was a card it was a cardigan that wasn't a button up. It was a, it was a white cardigan that you would like had a cinch tie to it.
0: I can't believe we've been doing this podcast as long as we have, and this is the first time this has come
1: up yeah it was it was for the kidney Foundation I was MCing it and I was doing a, an auction so I was I tried to pull I pulled Jack Givens in one time at an auction where they were auctioning off a piece of uh, the Kentucky the old Rupp Arena scoreboard and I literally looked at it, have to buy this and to his he goes, all right, he gave the bid gave the winning bid which is great. So I did this to Collinsworth on something it was tied to Florida and I said, anybody wearing a sweater that ugly has to bid on this and <laughs> I got nothing. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you're not wrong, though. That was a good, that was a wrong. good line. That was better than the Chris Rock joke that he got smacked for. Yeah. All right. What do you have any personal eating records? Oh, e.g. by the way,
1: hang on, hang on. By the way, let's oh. go back to that for a second. So, so in theory, you'd say <coughs> pick any Bengals kicker, right? Those are, usually oh yeah, got. you could yeah. say that, but they got strong lower body strength. Well, let like, me just tell you, Jim Breach was a damn good athlete and, and I wouldn't mess with Jim Breach. Doug Pelfrey was a hell of an athlete. I wouldn't mess with Doug Pelfrey. Now, Shane Ram- Graham. Shane Graham, yes. Fat Randy. Right. Fat Randy, though, could throw
0: around some weight, I feel like. He's got he's yeah, got some circumference fair.
1: to him. That, that's fair.
0: Shane, Shane was light enough that I think you could have body slammed him. I think Shane Graham is the right answer here. But the only thing is, kickers with strong lower bodies in the UFC, that could be dangerous. I know it. If those guys are just, you don't. My rule for a UFC fight would be I don't want to fight anyone that's swinging kicks near my head because I'm it, not it, like trained enough to
1: dodge them. But everybody always makes fun of the kickers and they're non athletes. I'm going to tell you, Jim Breach on those Bengals teams, if you put him in, in like a superstars competition, would probably kick most of their asses. And I know Doug would. Oh, Pelf, oh yeah. It, Pelfrey's it, a great athlete. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So I, I'm, I'm with you on that. I think backup quarterbacks or backup. Ooh. Now, nah, probably not backup quarterbacks. Backup uh, or relief pitchers is actually a pretty good idea.
1: Yeah. I think. They just sit out there eating sunflower seeds. Come in and chuck a chuck a chuck a third of an the inning. They're a little doughy a lot of times, and I think those would be the ones.
0: Yeah, like Todd Coffee. <laughs> you just wear them out. I run around the cage. Of- <laughs> run around the cage for about thirty seconds, and then
1: bringing out a random Todd Coffee—that's tremendous.
0: Yeah. Well, he'd sprint into the ring, so he'd be out of breath for the first round anyway. You could get some good shots <laughs> in on him. <laughs> it would be like King Hippo and Punch Out. You just have to knock him in the belly every time his shorts fall down. Uh, all right. Do you have any personal eating records, e.g. number of White Castles, Conies, et cetera, you're proud or ashamed of?
1: No, I think we talked the Coney one where I, I did eight or nine Dixie chilies when I was younger. Um, I, I always told you I, I know I could have done that damn steak challenge from, from whatever restaurant back in the day. I could have easily done that. Um, and I, I regret. I honestly, I think I could do it today. Now it's now I'm in the day and age of of getting a 12 ounce sirloin and splitting it with somebody. It's 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 just crazy. I, I think we, still, I will tell you. I, we went to Buffalo while I always get more wings and rings on on Sunday um, to watch the St. Peter's game and to to have dinner with some other people. And I'm telling you, I cut myself off at like nine bone boneless. And I, I like bone in, but the, I was splitting it with somebody, and they wanted boneless. So I said, "I'll, I'll split them with." You. That's fine. I could probably eat fifty boneless there if you just kept <laughs> bringing me the medium sauce. I I literally I took. They they everybody got gross out at the table. There was a cup of medium sauce left. I drank it. it it's I, that, I love that stuff. That, that stuff is, is so good. A little gross. Oh, it's so good. I'm thinking about mixing that with vodka sometime. I'm gonna go order that and just mix it with vodka sometime.
0: <laughs> oh, that's like a Bloody Mary, but Buffalo. Correct. Really, a Buffalo little stronger style.
1: Bloody Mary, but yes, with a little butter in it. That's the thing. There's a little butter. Bloody Mary does not does not have a a, a butter tint to it, but I think it would be pretty darn good. That stuff is so good. I, I could have gorged myself on those and I just cut myself off just for the you reach a stage in life sometimes, Rick, where you just gotta have a little restraint with that kind of stuff, and I've reached that stage as you know. I ordered at your bachelor party, I ordered that big plate of nachos, and as you saw, I didn't finish it right. I had about yeah. a half. Got yep. to a point of that's enough. Tried to well, share with people.
0: I'm I'm learning that myself, my man. I get it. Uh, yeah. I I don't know that I have any real any I, I real you, records, but, but I, that, we we both mentioned I think on a recent podcast that we've kind of like fantasized a little bit about eating challenges before.
1: I I yeah. Back back in high school, this is no lie. There used to be a I want to say it was might have been a Sargento early in Sargento's lifespan. Whatever they made a microwave lasagna dinner that I always got my mother to buy. In my senior year of high school, in baseball season, for whatever reason, I was trying to put on some weight. I weighed about 138 pounds at the time and wanted to get a little bit stronger. I would probably eat five meals. That would be my, like, 10 o'clock snack at night was a whole lasagna thing of that stuff. It was so good. But those were the days where you could eat like a crazy person and not put on a pound. And at some point, at some point you're comfortable putting on the weight, right? You get through your 20s into your 30s. You're still playing a little bit of ball. And then you're at a stage. You're like, all right. I just want to be comfortable with my clothes and not have to continue to buy clothes. And I'm kind of at that stage. I haven't vacillated my weight in probably 15 years, three to five pounds. And it's I just, I've gotten that point of I'm good. I just, I could, I could eat more. I just choose not to.
0: Yeah. I didn't do it like that. I just gained weight from like 18 to 30. And then I was like, Oh, I got to fix this a little bit. uh, uh well, the only record that, well, like, I don't know if it's a record, but the only thing that, I, that comes to mind that was extremely shameful was last September I went to Mexico, and I gained nine wow. pounds in one week.
1: Did you really?
0: Yeah. Wow. I, th- so you,
1: you was it all inclusive kind of a thing? Yeah. Yeah. I'll so it was a funny. lot of sugary drinks. Yeah, I'm I'm stunned. The time that, that NKU played down there in a tournament, uh, we stayed at an all inclusive resort, and I mean to tell you, I did it up. Steve Moeller and I. It was doing NKU radio with me at the time. We did it up right, and I still can't believe this day. I think I gained a pound off that trip, and I would have sworn wow. if I came home, put myself on a scale, I gained fifty pounds. I, you're right. It was sugary drinks, and it was constantly drinking. And oh my gosh, let me just grab that from the snack bar because it's free and it's out there. And going to the like the the uh, the, the steak thing the one night where they chop it off the the skewer and just keep bringing the meats, keep bringing the meats and. It was incredible. We had a big Thanksgiving meal because it was over Thanksgiving time that they took us to and a big sit down thing for that. It was insane. And I couldn't believe I got, I don't know why I got lucky, I guess.
0: Yeah. Most of it is just like the constant consumption. Like you're talking about where you're always got a drink in your hand, the sugary drinks and, and you're just, you just feel and all
1: obligated that. to do it. Cause it's free. Well, it's not free. You've already paid for it. Might as well take advantage of it.
0: Right. A lot of the portions are somewhat smaller there. So like a lot of the nights I didn't felt like I, I, Overeat much. But there was one night where I think I consumed a little bit more tequila during the day than the other days. And I had ordered room service when we got back to the room to get one of those like little personal pizzas. Yep. So I ate those, but kind of didn't my mind wasn't exactly functioning on how the timing of this was going. Like we had just gotten back from the pool. So I thought we had time, but we were really going to dinner in like the next hour. So I eat this little pizza and then we go to this Mexican joint and I ate like 11 tacos there. Because I had two little sections of three of them myself, so that was six. And then the people I was with they all didn't like the like the one shrimp taco or something because it had some spice. So I ate all of theirs, like of that version. So I had like did, 11 tacos.
1: Did, did you keep it all down?
0: Yeah, I was fine. I was fine. They were like smaller tacos, whatever. But either way, nine pounds in one week was a little bit. I, I got back and I was like, I knew I was in trouble just by the way, like shirts were going over my belly. And I was like, that doesn't seem Right. And then I got home and I was like, oh, nine pounds. That's, yeah.
1: So that'll take me to the worst munchy story of my career, of my lifetime. And it occurred in college, my sophomore year, maybe, maybe junior year. Um, so there was a fraternity party that I, I was not in a fraternity, but I went to it because my wife was in a sorority. We were dating at the time. And we were going on a double date with another couple that night. But of course, this was a daytime Saturday party. And so I completely overconsumed, just loud. <laughs> so we were going to dinner. And I'm like, I got to go back and shower and sober up. Well, we were going in like an hour and a half, but I wasn't even close to thinking that. So I get back to my dorm, and she had given me an Easter basket, because this was, this was called Spring Fling was the name of the party, actually, so springtime period. And in the, in the Easter basket was a, I mean, a giant chocolate bunny, right? <laughs> giant. Like as big as you can think of it. Not a hollow one either, just a... So I ate the whole thing. Then we go to the dinner, and as we ordered, and the food came, it was like, it all of a sudden, it all hit me at once. Like, I can't even look at that right now. The the rest of the night was a blur. I know the date for the other couple didn't end well because of my buffoonery. And to this day, whenever I look at a chocolate bunny, I just have to look the other way. I can't do it. And I like chocolate.
0: Did you make it through dinner without vomiting? No, no. That's why I said as soon as I, as soon as the food oh, came, okay. I
1: was go- I was I was up and gone to the to the restroom.
0: Okay, yeah, I yeah. was. I mean, that, that's why I, I was gonna.
1: I, that's why I fought a guy over a parking spot as we were coming out.
0: Oh, that sounds about right. Uh, yeah, don't I, ask me why. I thought for sure that story was going to end in you naked with a half-eaten chocolate bunny melted oh, no, no. on. Well, your
1: well, there's some truth to that because the guy the guy we were double dating with lived next door to me, and he found me on the floor of the shower just sitting there. Mumbling to myself at one point, he's like, dude, we got to go. And I just kept sitting there going, this feels, This like the water just hits you and you're in a calm place. And you're like, leave me alone. I'm good. Yeah. It, it,
0: shower is always a good option in those it is. situations. That's for it sure. It is,
1: but not a 45 minute shower trying to sober up with chocolate bunny on your gut.
0: We'll we'll keep it on the topic of food here. Best frozen pizzas. This came up with Jamie Ramsey, the the Reds PR guy, I got tweeted about here. this last night. What,
1: what What is he like? What's his?
0: Uh, you know, I think he was talking about a uh, Red Baron fully loaded or something fully loaded, which is like a very specific type. I looked it up. It's like it looks like kind of a deep dish, thicker crust.
1: Dude, the, the Kroger Private Select dopio Pepperoni is to die for. What's your crunchy- dopio Pepperoni? Yeah, Doppio Pepperoni. It is thin crust, it bakes perfectly, the crust is perfect. The Toppings are perfect. The cheese, the way they put it, melts perfectly. I almost—I've said this, I would rather have that than almost any carryout.
0: Yeah. So he said, "Outsiders Chicago style and Red Baron fully loaded."
1: Red Barons are good. I'm a big Red Baron. We don't. I I like the little individual Red Barons. I get those on occasion. Those are good. That's a good call on his part. What What is yours? I, I've always just.
0: Uh, I think DiGiorno is the best, probably. But my thing is, if I'm getting a frozen, I don't like pizza, the crust. I'm not getting a frozen pizza to spend $8 on it. Like you can get regular order carryout pizzas for $8. Yeah, I so, think the
1: Kroger Private Selects are like two ninety nine.
0: Yeah, so that's what we usually do is the Kroger has the self-rising crust ones that are like basically their DiGiorno knockoff. I just get those for yeah, like three bucks maybe if I ever get them, and, and we usually just do pepperoni or something. We're not big frozen pizza people, but
1: uh, no, nobody else in the house. I, I those are usually for me when I come back from you know coaching or something like that, and I'm the one that will eat that pizza. So yeah. those are those are those are usually
0: just for me. I mean, I don't really care too much about what type it is. I'm just pouring a bunch of either hot sauce or sriracha and red pepper flakes and everything to mask the taste of it being frozen pizza anyway.
1: Yeah, I don't even, it's funny. I, I put a little red pepper flake on it, but I would not put much else. This, I'm telling you, trust me on this. If you like pepperoni pizza, get this. They, they had, you know, Kroger had a pepperoni and hot honey one. Yeah, I didn't like that. We had that. I, the honey, I don't like. I, have I'm you ever had it with, from Comparoso? I, I have. And actually, it, it's okay. That's the one my daughter It's amazing. <laughs> She gets that one all the time, and I'll usually have a small slice of it. I just don't like the honey flavor on it. She loves it, but yes, yeah.
0: I have one more question from me here on the subject of food. I was actually, I often go into Thornton's over there on uh, the double A, right by Wild. I know exactly. Yes, correct. Episode. Right, right, uh, by, to, right by
1: the theater in the Town and Country.
0: Yeah, to go get a fountain Coke Zero because I work the overnight shift for Channel Twelve. So you know, I'll, I'll stop in get a a fountain Coke Zero, a little caffeine in me. And as I'm in there late last night before my shift started, I see a guy doctoring up what looked to be either a hot dog or one of those like breakfast sausages, maybe. But it was on a hot dog bun type deal. And he's pouring all types of condiments and crap on it. And the last thing he does is he gets out a mayo bottle, knocks it on the counter a few times and just puts a giant line of mayo on both of those things. Have you ever... Heard that? Be- have you ever seen someone put mayo on their like, hot dogs or met or brat or sausage? I, or- I,
1: I have I have not. I've um, never heard of that. I was like yeah. totally,
0: I was staring at the guy for the next like two minutes
1: while we were in line. The only thing I put mayo on or in is tuna salad. That's it. I'm not a big mayo guy. I'm okay with it. but
0: Well, I mean, yeah, but I've seen it in all types of, the, you know, I mean, there's tons of things that have mayo
1: sandwiches. Yes, are I know. Pretty I've normal, never seen a like, hot dog. I'm with you. I've never I've seen, it never seen, seen
0: anything that requires a hot dog bun. I've never seen someone top that with mayo before. I I'll was you, very. I, uh, okay.
1: So along those lines, are you a mustard guy at all? Yeah. Okay. I I do this on hot dogs a lot. Get a little Dixie cup, squirt some mustard in it, put some hot sauce, mix the two together. I'm telling you, on a hot dog, bingo.
0: I mean, I'd be good with that. I like all types of spicy mustards and stuff like that. I've got an insane ghost pepper mustard right now that is like just stupid hot. So, (laughs) yeah. All right, we'll end it with this one, Skinny. What's the worst or most busted car you've ever owned or driven?
1: Um, So in the early 2010s, um, we had our daughter, our oldest was driving. So we gave her a car. Wife had a car. I had a car that had a bunch of miles on it crapped out. So... We were gonna buy a new one, but at that point where my wife was working for this company, they said, Hey, we got this old crappy van. It's got whatever on it, you can drive it till it dies, it's yours. So I drove it. Drove it for about a year, believe it or not. And I mean, my, my youngest daughter, because I was working at Villa at the time, I would take her to school and she was embarrassed to get out of the van. <laughs> I don't I don't care. So one day we're coming home in the van, right? And it's about it's on its last legs. In fact, I might have even purchased a new car the day before, right around this time. But I'm like, I'm going to drive the van until it's, so we're driving home. And suddenly she goes, there's smoke. I go, what do you mean there's smoke? She goes, there's smoke coming out of the back. I go, what? So I heard a grinding noise. Basically, the rotors were shot. I don't even know how the hell I got it home. I got it home, called AAA, they towed it away, and it was see you later, van, goodbye. And that was about 10 or 11 years ago. And so the car I bought is a Camry that I still have today that has 254,000 miles on it.
0: Yeah. So we're very similar in this regard. I mean, my dad is like an all time drive it till the wheels fall off, ride around in beaters type guy. So he's super cheap when it comes to cars. So naturally, when I first started driving, I inherited it. My first car was nicknamed Old Rusty because it was one of those 92 Dodge Caravans with the eggshell blue color, you know, that everyone had. Oh, yeah. But the whole top was rusted. The whole top of it was rust. So that's what I drove around in in high school to start. Then my next car was an 89 Cadillac Brougham. Wow. That was like a giant boat. And, you know, the inside, the uh, cloth top was like falling down.
1: What inside. color was this?
0: What color? It was the yeah. burgundy.
1: Okay. Because my dad had exactly that car, except it was uh, it was brown.
0: Yeah, so there are a lot of brown ones too. I've seen that. So yeah, I was just wondering had, if
1: you might have my dad's car. That's what I was thinking. If maybe you had my dad's car. If it was, it grand- was my
0: grandpa's old car. Okay. He had bought it new. So I, I do know where that originated. But yeah, I, I drove around some serious beaters. That old caravan that I was talking about, old Rusty. One time I took the turn to get off at the 3L exit. You know, that big loop around when oh, you yeah. come off 275. And the door just flings open. My driver's side door just flings open as I'm driving through. Something with, to do with the latch. Quit going. So instead of taking that to get it fixed, my dad put bungee cords from that door across to the other door, and then like every time I would take a turn, it would fling open just like an inch or two. So just a nice little draft as they're taking a a big turn, and then it it, you know snap back with the
1: bungee cord. It was was my my father earned a pretty comfortable living. I had a comfortable childhood because of that. But he that's what I'm like like your dad. I inherited that same thing from my father about cars. I can still remember my sister. Him and I going over to my grandmother's in Westwood, driving up Queen City Avenue in a Vega. Go look up what a Vega was back in the day. And that thing caught fire in the front end. We got out of it. We just watched it burn. And my dad said, well, time for another car. That's the way he was. And then he bought like a, an old Datsun 280Z. He just wanted something to get back. Now, I will say at the end of his, when he retired, that's when he bought himself a very nice Cadillac to have, which is fine. You earned it, bro.
0: I just looked up a Vega. and Yeah, that, that's, a, that's a POS. Yes, it, sure. is.
1: yes it is. Yes, they don't make them anymore, in case you're wondering. Unless they yeah. bought them back. Maybe they brought them back. I don't mind the, the camera I got, I bought it brand new. I just decided I've, I've taken good care of it. I take it for proper maintenance. I got to take it in for maintenance next week. Why spend money? You don't need to spend. It's just silly. In my opinion, says a guy who's going to go bet a four, 14 parlay. Probably tomorrow.
0: <laughs> well, my, my <laughs> problem is I get too worried if I have something like that. Like if I spent like $45,000 right. on a car, I would be so nervous every time I dinged it. I don't take good enough care of stuff. Like, you know, I'll, I'll bump into something immediately after I buy a brand new car. So I'll probably yeah,
1: it, always drive a huge car. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm kind of with you on that. Yeah. All right. That's all I got, Skinny. All right. Good stuff. Thanks for the questions, everybody. We'll be back uh, next week as we approach Red's opening day. We'll maybe throw some predictions around. We'll obviously have a national champion crown by then, maybe even two, depending on what Xavier does on Thursday night. So please join us then. For Rick Boran, I'm a the Skinny Podcast, the weekly appropriate edition, presented by Ryan Keith of Prime final.